0: No, not time to put your Christmas decorations out, although I have seen them starting to filter out of their hiding places at my house over the last few days. Nor am I telling you that it's time to start buying your Christmas presents, although I realize that people are telling us because of supply shortages that we need to buy our presents early. But you've been doing that for years, and so this year is no different. Instead, I mean it is time for our annual Thanksgiving get togethers with family and friends. Many of those were derailed last year because of COVID. Our family has not been to see Tracy's family in Memphis now for over two years. And so we will soon be making the drive across the state to renew old traditions. Virtually every year we emphasize the need to be thankful. Thankful not just for one day or not even for one week, but thankful for all that we have for all of our lives. In spite of this annual emphasis that we call Thanksgiving, many are simply not thankful. If social media is any indication, thankfulness is not at the top of the list. Instead, it might be something like bitterness or criticalness or complaining or something of the sort. Because we are all so quick to fire off an email or a text letting everybody know what we think and how we feel. Sometimes it's in the little things that we see that thankfulness has gone by the wayside. People pushing into traffic and perhaps you graciously allowing them to get into the flow of traffic. And they don't even give that customary hand wave. I mean, that's just common social sense, right? You have to give the wave. And if they don't, I wish I had their cell phone number so I could text them what I felt about their lack of etiquette. Or retail establishments not appearing to be thankful that you are coming to their business and spending your money. Instead, they act like it's a favor to you that they're there. Or the almost non-existence of thank you notes these days. You know, I was taught, especially in seminary, that when someone did something nice for you or bought you something, that you were to give them a handwritten thank you note, and these are also gone by the wayside. Now, immediately some of you might conclude, at least in your own mind, perhaps you wouldn't say it out loud, but you might conclude that if you had something to be thankful for, then indeed you would be thankful. But since you don't, this whole idea just doesn't apply to you. After all, your finances are not what you want them to be. Your health is questionable at best, and your relationships, well, I don't have the time to go into that this morning. In other words, we tend to focus in our lives on those things that are lacking, those things that have gone wrong, those things that are not what we want them to be, and therefore we do not feel like giving thanks. Furthermore, we tend to think that being thankful must depend upon our circumstances. We are thankful because things are going well, and therefore, if they are not, then we are not thankful. Well, I want to talk to you this morning from Psalm 30. That is our text today. From Psalm 30, I want to talk to you about being forever thankful. And I get that title, as you'll see, from the last verse of this text. And using that title, you might think that I'm going to be talking primarily about the future. That is, we are going to be thankful forever when we spend eternity with Christ. And we will talk a bit about that. But in order to be thankful forever, that is, in the future, we have to start in the present. So the vast majority of the sermon today is going to be about how we are to be, faith, uh, how we are to be thankful in the present. Because that's the start of being forever thankful. Psalm 30, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. And give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. O oh, Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Well, as you notice, this heading, the heading of this psalm tells us that this is a psalm of David. You know who David is. A lot of the psalms are written by him. Not all of them, but a large percentage of them are written by King David. Now, as to the setting of this psalm, sometimes we know the setting and sometimes we don't. Sometimes we have to guess as to the context of the psalm, and it is just that, sometimes a guess. But if you notice in your Bibles, most Bibles have this, there is a title, there is a heading to this psalm. And that heading says that this is a song of dedication of the temple. This means it would have been a psalm that they would have sung as they were dedicating the temple that was constructed, and likely they would have sung it also years in the future as they gathered in the temple to worship. Now keep in mind that the headings of these psalms are not inspired. It was not written by David. It was put there by someone years later to help us in understanding the psalm so that we might know the context. But there are multiple problems with the context that I've just mentioned. First of all is that the temple was not even built during David's lifetime. It was, of course, built by his son Solomon. Though David was gathering the materials in order to have the temple built, and he certainly could have written this psalm in anticipation of the building of the temple, even if he were not alive to actually see it. On the other hand, the word temple is not even found in this psalm. There's no indication here that this really has anything to do with the temple. So some people conclude that perhaps it's a song of thanks or praise when David built his palace, which of course was done in his lifetime. Or it is possible that it was written on the occasion of David's second attempt at returning the ark to Jerusalem, which was successful and which was recorded for us in 2 Samuel chapter 6. All of that to say, we really don't know what the context of this psalm is, but we do know that it is classified as a thanksgiving psalm. That is, it is one of the many thanksgiving psalms in the Psalter. Most people divide the psalms into seven different categories. And thanksgiving psalms have the second most psalms in all of those seven categories. The one that has the most, psalms of lament. And actually, lament psalms and thanksgiving psalms are closely related Because oftentimes, the psalmist is lamenting what is going on in his life. God delivers him from that situation, leading him to praise and give thanks. And we're actually going to see all of that in this particular psalm. Now, with that as our background, the first thing I want us to see is that we are to be thankful in spite of our pain. Most scholars believe that David is dealing with a physical illness in this psalm. It is not that he is having emotional situations. It is not that he is having a spiritual struggle, though there is hints of that. In all likelihood, there is a physical problem. And we see this from what we might call his near-death experience that he gives us in verse 3. David has one foot in the grave, as we might say. He has some sort of illness that is having him on the point of death. Now, historically, we know of no time in David's life where he had such an illness, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Uh, It seems like everybody goes through illnesses at some point in their life. So David has experienced some physical pain. And when this happens to us, we often ask the question, why me? Why do I have to suffer? Why do I have to go through such pain? What did I do to bring this about? Why is God allowing this in my life? And so we question God and maybe even complain to God, but ultimately, in times of pain, we beg God to heal us so that we can be well physically again. And that's what David is doing in this psalm, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you get our daily prayer list, you will notice that the vast majority of prayer concerns are indeed for physical issues. If you come on Wednesday night and you see our Wednesday night prayer list, you'll find the same thing. The vast majority of those prayer requests are people who have asked us to plead with them on their behalf that God would bring about healing in their life. And that is indeed what happened in David's case. He begged God for healing. He asked God for his mercy and God did deliver, leading David to praise and thank him. The word extol that's found in the ESV from which I'm reading, is not a word we use much. I dare say you've never used that word in a sentence. Many other translations use the word exalt. It means to praise and to do so enthusiastically. So David is enthusiastically praising God because in the midst of his pain, he cried out to God and God heard and God healed. God has a heart to hear our prayers And David says that God has drawn him up. The imagery there is like a bucket put down into a well, and then you draw water up from the well. And David says, that's what God has done for me. He has drawn me up. And as a result, he is out of the depth of his physical pain. We do know that God is a God who heals. God is a God who hears our prayers and desires to answer them. But of course, this is not a promise And I want you to hear this clearly because I am not promising that if you pray as David prayed, that God will heal you. God does heal, but God never promises that he will always heal when we pray in a certain manner. And as a result, many get discouraged. In fact, many even get disillusioned with God. He's healed others. I know he can heal. Why has he not healed me or why has he not healed my loved ones? And I want to be honest and say, I don't have an easy answer for that. I don't have an answer for why some people suffer far more than others, and others are healed far more quickly than some others. But regardless of the duration, all physical pain is temporary and is reserved for this life only, something we'll talk about more in just a moment when we conclude. So hang on to that. And don't think I'm belittling your pain. I realize that people do suffer, some for years, some for decades. But even with that length of time, it is still temporary because it is reserved for this life only. And as we'll see in a moment, there is an end to the story. The dawn will arise. Joy will come. And that's easy for me to say, especially when I'm not currently in pain, But it's far harder to believe when we are the ones in pain. But all such physical pain should drive us to God. That's how we can be thankful in spite of our pain. Because we know it drives us to God who may remove that pain or may teach us something through it. Have you heard someone say before, or perhaps you've said it yourself, God will never put more on you than you can bear. Sounds like a great biblical truth, doesn't it? It's one of those pithy statements that we like. It's just not right. It's not biblical. The fact of the matter is God does put more on you than you can bear because he wants to use it to drive you to himself. And that's what we see in David. We're going to talk about that in a, mo- a little bit more just a moment. But God has put so much on him that it has turned David's attention to God and driven him. To him, And that is how we can have thankfulness in spite of our pain, because it drives us to God. So let your pain lead you to Him, and you'll discover you can be thankful in spite of it. The second thing I want you to see from this psalm is that we can be thankful in spite of enemies. We see this at the end of verse 1. You have not let my foes rejoice over me. This is a recurring theme throughout the psalms because David and others like him had real-life enemies, other men who were trying to kill him, other men who were trying to dethrone him and take his title and his position. He had members of his own household work against him, scheming behind the scenes against him and seeking to take his place and his palace. His son gathered a following, shrewdly drawing men unto himself and drove David out of Jerusalem so that he could rule the people. Now, in the long run, it didn't work. David came back to Jerusalem and retook his throne. And ultimately, Absalom, his son, was killed, resulting in a lot of grief for David. And many of you know what it feels like, the heartbreak, to lose a child. Or even not to lose a child physically, but to lose one to rebellion. You know how difficult that is. And David experienced all of that. The rebellion of a child leading to grief The death of that child leading to further grief and probably regret along the way. Now, in this sense, we don't have enemies, at least not most of us. As far as I know, most of us do not have someone who is literally trying to kill us. Or if we do, we don't know about it. We might have someone that is trying to take our position at work, but we don't have someone that's trying to do us in in bodily harm. But we do have people that give us a hard time people that criticize us often, someone who opposes us and everything we try to initiate or simply always seeks to discourage us. Like David, they might be members of your own household, or they might be co-workers who want your position and want your job and don't care what they have to do in order to get it. They're seeking your downfall because they want to take your place. And such attacks, even though they aren't physical, are indeed difficult to deal with. They wear us down and bring us down, making Thanksgiving very difficult and far from our minds. And anybody in a position of leadership knows that they are going to be criticized at times, but most still find it difficult to deal with. We took a uh, group of senior adults to the Cumberland County Playhouse this week to see Scrooge the musical. Now, as the title suggests, there were a lot of songs in the musicals, and one of the more memorable ones, I can't say it's my favorite, and you'll know why in just a moment, but one of the more memorable ones, because it had a catchy little tune, and at least the main lines in it were easy to remember, were sung by the main character, Scrooge, and most of you know Scrooge, he was a very rich and yet miserable man. He hated everything and despised everything about Christmas. And so this song that he sang in the musical was titled, and here's why I can't call it my favorite, I Hate People. He said in the song, I hate people. I despise them. I loathe them. I deplore them. And it ends with the line that says, and I don't care if they hate me. Well, that goes over the line for most of us. Because we do care that people like us and do not hate us. Now hopefully most of us have not come to the place in our life where we would say, I hate people. But they do get on our nerves sometimes. In fact, you might discover that as you gather for your Thanksgiving meal next week. So we know there are people who try our patience. But once again, David is thanking God that he has not allowed the attacks of his enemies to prosper. God has seen that there were people who were troubling him. And I want you to understand that God sees if you have people troubling you. And if we again turn to him and trust in him, we can trust that he can handle the people who are troubling us. I'm not saying that you should pray an imprecatory psalm over their heads and ask God to kill them. But I'm saying you can trust that God sees and knows, and you can be thankful in spite of pain and in spite of enemies. Thirdly, I want you to notice from this psalm that you and I can be thankful in spite of distance. We find this in verses 6 and 7, and these verses get to the real source of the problem, the core issue of what is going on in this particular psalm. David is now talking about the past. These verses are in the past tense. He's looking back to something that has happened in a previous time that resulted in him drifting away from the Lord. And in response to that, the Lord has disciplined him and thus allowed David to see his need and return. Now, you remember last week we talked very briefly about how God is a God of love and yet... He loves us so much that he disciplines us. Even as an earthly father disciplines his children out of love, so our heavenly father disciplines us out of love. And that is what we see in this psalm. God has disciplined David in the past, leading David to understand the distance that has come between him and God, and therefore he sees his need and returns. I mean, we can just imagine the temptation of a man like David. A king who had who knows how many servants, but certainly enough to meet his every single need. Here was a man who was the commander-in-chief of Israel's army. He could tell them to do and go wherever he wanted them to go at any time without congressional approval. He has wealth and he has women. Whatever he does not have, he can surely attain. All of which leads him to suddenly conclude that he no longer needs God. You see, David's sin in this particular situation was the sin of pride and self-sufficiency. He began to trust in his own security and in his own status and found then that he could be independent of God. He didn't need God. He might not have said those words, but that's the way he was living. And as a result, verse 7, God hid his face from David, leading David to be dismayed. Now, this is a particular temptation for us as well. After all, most of us do not have to pray for our daily bread. We have enough food in our home to last for weeks. We don't have to pray that God will provide enough for the mortgage this month because most of us have at least a small nest egg put away somewhere just in case there is an emergency. We don't have to fret or be anxious about what clothes we're going to wear, unless, of course, they are not the right name brand. The fact of the matter is, most of us have too many clothes in our closet, and we need to get rid of some. So it's not like we actually have to depend upon God every single day for everything, because most of us are prosperous. And again, by the world's standards, most of us have far more than the average in the world, and therefore, it is easy to forget God. We can become careless over spiritual things, quickly forgetting the blessings of God in the past, and as a result, we stray from God. And then at some point, we realize that we don't sense his presence any longer and don't have any joy. And this is exactly what David was going through, leading him again to cry out to God, to repent of his self-sufficiency and his pride. And in the process, he discovered mercy and forgiveness. So perhaps our lack of thankfulness is the result of our own self-sufficiency and pride. We wouldn't admit it, perhaps, but maybe we're living as if we don't really need God. And therefore, there's no reason to be thankful toward him. And if that's the case, I pray that like David, we would recognize the distance that has developed and not blame God for that distance, not say, God, where did you go? but realize it is we who have drifted away from him because we have suddenly believed that we no longer need him. And in fact, he might just be drawing us back this morning from this very psalm, quietly telling you that prosperity has not brought you satisfaction. It has not led to joy. Instead, it has led you to distance yourself from God, and it is time to come home. C.S. Lewis wrote, God whispers to us in our pleasures, he speaks to us in our work, and he shouts to us in our pain. I don't know if you're currently in the midst of pain or pleasure. David had experienced both, as most of us do from time to time as well. But God was speaking in the midst of both, and he may be speaking to you likewise. Next, we see that, there, that it is possible to be thankful in spite of grief. Grief. We've already talked about how David appears to be near death, and therefore he is pleading with God for recovery. And so he says in verse 9, What profit will it be if I die? Can a dead man praise you and testify to your faithfulness? This is the spiritual version of the pirate motto, Dead men tell no tales. And David is saying, If I die, I'm not going to be able to praise you. I'm not going to be able to express my thanks unless you heal me. Now, we do need to understand a a biblical idea called progressive revelation. And what that means is that we know more about God as we progress through divine revelation. In other words, when I read the book of Genesis, I don't have the full story about God. Likewise, when I come to the Psalms, I don't have complete understanding of how God has revealed himself to me. It progresses over the course of the Bible so that by the time we come to the New Testament, we are learning far more about God than we can know just from the Old Testament. Now, I'm not discounting the Old Testament. We need that. But I'm saying we don't get the full picture until we come to the New Testament and see how the Old Testament predicted what we find in the New Testament. Now, why do I say all that here? Because I'm saying David doesn't have the the full picture of the resurrection that we have. David doesn't have a, a complete understanding like Paul. Like Paul would say, well, I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Paul understood that if he died, he would be in the presence of God forever. And therefore, he would praise and thank him. But David didn't have that fully developed theology just because of the time in which he lived. And that's why he can say, well, if I die, I won't be able to praise you. What benefit would it be for me to go to the place of the dead, which is what he calls Sheol? Wouldn't it be better, he reasons, for God to heal him so he could continue serving and thanking him? It's somewhat similar to people who plead with God in their hospital bed. God, you know, if you'll heal me, I promise you this time I'll serve you. I'll be more faithful than I've ever been. It's similar to what David is saying here. Of course, David followed through on it, and I'm not sure many in our day do. So while I use the term grief, I'm not saying that David is grieving over someone who has died, as we often use the term. I'm saying he's grieving over his own impending death. Because, of course, as he's saying these things and as he's pleading with God, he doesn't know what God is going to do. He just knows he's going to die if God does not intervene. And once again, God does. We sometimes do the opposite, of course. Instead of turning to God, we get upset with God because of our pain and grief. And then we rebel against him, sometimes in subtle ways, sometimes in more obvious manners. But David reminds us that in the pain of grief, we ought to turn to God. Because it is turning to God where there is the only hope of getting beyond that grief. Experts tell us that there are stages to the grief process, and I'm sure they're right. But I think the most important step in the grieving process is the step in which we turn to God rather than turning away from Him. Now, I'm going to assume at this point that some of you are still not convinced. I can't possibly be thankful... In spite of my pain, or in spite of enemies, in spite of my distance from God, or in spite of grief. Now, I can be thankful when I'm out of those situations, or when those dangers no longer exist, but I cannot be thankful in the midst of them. In fact, isn't that what we see in David? He's only thankful because God has delivered him from all of those things, and therefore he is praising God. And in large measure, you would be right. But the reason we can be thankful in spite of all of these circumstances and any others we might think of is due to this last point, that we are to be thankful for the promise. There are some wonderful statements in this psalm which remind us that all such circumstances are temporary. Now again, by temporary, I do not mean they'll be over this week or even this year. Some of these situations last years, if not decades. Some of of them last for the rest of our earthly life. But I am saying that compared to eternity, everything we face is temporary. Look again at verse 3. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And therefore, David is praising him. David is praising. Thankful that God is a God of love and a God of mercy who has responded to his prayers, his anger, his discipline, which David has indeed been under due to his pride and self-sufficiency. But but his anger is but for a moment. I meant to say verse verse 5. It took me that long to figure out where I needed to be. It wasn't verse 3. It's verse 5. His anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may come during the night or tarry during the night, but joy comes in the morning. God might discipline you for a period of time, but his favor rests on you for all of your life and indeed for all of eternity. And then the picture of weeping during the night only to experience joy in the morning. I think we've all had a literal bad night where for whatever reason we couldn't sleep. It might have been physical pain that just wouldn't go away. It might have been mental anguish. And we just tossed and turned all night. We might get a few moments of sleep, but then we're wide awake again, looking at the clock, wondering when the dawn is going to come. And then for some reason, when there is that first light of morning, there is hope that goes along with it. And so in the midst of our trials, David is reminding us that, yes, we must endure during the night, And sometimes that night seems to go on forever. But there is the promise here that spiritual mourning is coming. And with that spiritual mourning, there will be joy, joy that will last forever. Or consider verse 10, where David records the change that God has brought into his life. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Grief, as we talked about a moment ago, has now been replaced by gladness, leading David to sing the praises of God. Again, I'm not here to promise you that this will happen for you this afternoon or even tomorrow or even the first of the year. But I do know that David knew God to be a God of mercy and therefore he pleaded for that mercy and God answered. And I do know that we have the same God and he is still a God of mercy and we still through Christ have every uh, reason to plead with God through our relationship with Christ for him to show mercy in our lives and he just might do that. And when he does or if he does, Understand that we are to return to him in thanksgiving and know that whatever we are going through is temporary, confined only to this life. Well, in closing, I want to reread a couple of verses because I I would really rather leave you with the word of God rather than my own words. Look at verse 4. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. You are a saint. That's a word that just means a a genuine believer. So if you are a believer in Christ, you as a saint are to sing praises to God and thank his holy name. And then verse 12. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Let me pray. Lord, I do pray that we would recognize this morning that no matter what we're going through, you have been gracious and merciful to us and blessed us in so many ways, and therefore we do have reason to be thankful. Not just for this week or next, but to be forever thankful. And I pray that we would not be silent, but we would sing praises to your name, both now and forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing, and you respond.